Once you have it, go ahead and turn to Luke 4. We're taking a little detour from our normal um, verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. Uh, The last month or so, or last couple weeks, we've been going through this section in Luke 4, verses 16 through 21, that um, kind of in in anticipation for Christmas, which is the celebration of, of the birth of Jesus Christ, we use this term called Advent, which is like this expectation of of something that has happened or the celebration of something something that's happened. And so we just wanted to take some time this Christmas season to uh, go over uh, what it is that Jesus, in fact, came to do in our lives for us and what he's accomplished and what he is still accomplishing, because that is what makes Christmas worth celebrating. It is the reason for the season. And the first mission that we talked about in verse 18 that Jesus came to do was to proclaim the good news to the poor. The good news being the gospel. That's what gospel literally means, good news. And, and to sum it up in, in, in real easy terms, it's, it's basically Jesus' death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection proving he was in fact God. But what that accomplished for us in, in paying the price that was necessary for all of our sins uh, the, the just price they deserved, it paid for him it, 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 so that we're forgiven of our sin through faith in Jesus, through understanding our need for him to save us. That's what it accomplished. And then all the other things he came to do come out of that. Through believing that, you are changed. As we talked about last week, you're reborn and you're brought into a relationship with God. And then God can come into your life and really do the personal work in showing you the things that are good and bad and helping you live according to his word which is for your benefit. It's to bless you. And so um, we're kind of going through these different points of what Jesus actually came to do. And one of those things he did for us what, that we talked about last week was setting the captives free. We talked about how we're all born as a captive, literally, to our sinful nature. We inherited that from the very first person ever created, Adam, in that we can't not do what's right or we can't do what's right we have this tendency to do what's wrong to do the opposite of what god says and you're a slave to that there's nothing you can do to help yourself and so through faith in jesus he set you free basically you've been reborn and instead of having adam's nature you've inherited your heavenly father's nature now and his spirit is inside of you to not only show you what is right and wrong, but then to help you live rightly according to his word, which will lead to good things. It's the same type of thing, relationship we have, but at a more perfect level that you have with your kids. The reason you tell them to do what you want them to do is because you want good things for them. And they need to learn what those good things are. They don't know those because of lack of experience when they're young. And you've learned these things. Well, God knows everything. He created us. He thought everything up. So he knows what is good and right. And as our father in heaven, he wants to help us live in those good things. Amen. So that's the first thing we talked about last week. And we heard some great personal testimonies of people that have experienced personally in their lives, this new rebirth and the blessing it's brought them. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to go on to this next thing of looking at what else Jesus came to do. And that is to help us see truth or to open our eyes to what is right and what is wrong something that we cannot do apart from god he has to come in to our lives and open our eyes and and the terminology the bible uses is basically helping the blind to see or as we're going to see in this section today 
um, recovering of sight to the blind. So let me pray really quick, or actually let me read this this whole section in, in its entirety that we're going through, and then we'll pray, and then we'll go through this one passage that we're going to focus on today. So starting in verse 16, this is Luke 4, and it says, And he, this being Jesus, Jesus, came to Nazareth, that was his hometown, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives in recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Lord God, we praise that truth, just as you told them then that that prophecy about the coming Savior of the world, the Messiah, that had been spoken through your prophet in your word hundreds of years before you actually came, Jesus, that day it was fulfilled in your coming. And you have fulfilled this, these truths that you spoke there literally in so many of our lives. Our lives, those of us that have placed our faith in you, we've experienced these things firsthand. We can testify to them personally because to some degree, even though we know we're works in progress, we've experienced these things. We've been captives to our sin and we've been set free through the, hearing this good news and believing it. As today we're going to look at we were once blind and now we see. We can relate to that blind guy who was literally physically blind and could see. But spiritually, we understand because we didn't know no better at the time. But now that you've opened our eyes, we see how we were hurting ourselves and, and hurting others and destroying ourselves. And you've opened our eyes to truth, to the, the good things you have for us. And we've experienced that when we listen and obey and when we follow you... We experience those good things that you intend. And we're so thankful for that, Lord. Again, we were helpless and you weren't willing to leave us in that state and you came to save us. And that is what we're celebrating this Christmas. So as we go through this, this, this truth of something you've done in our lives that you're still doing and opening our eyes, Lord, I pray that it would be an encouragement to us on what you've already have done and an encouragement to us in looking to you to give us that direction and insight and leading that we need to navigate these lives. It can be so complicated and convoluted all the time. It's just scary not knowing what to do in so many situations. We're so thankful we have you to open our eyes and lead us into the good, pleasing, and perfect will you intend for each of us. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, so this third thing Jesus came to do in our focus this morning is in Luke 4.18, and that is the recovering of sight to the blind. Now, as I was just praying, literally Jesus did heal people that were blind. If you guys know the Gospels, you saw, you've seen that. There were people that were blind, and Jesus spoke or had them do something like rubbing rub or mud in their fingers and putting their eyes a different way each time. But basically, he, he had the power to heal people, which proved who he was. It, he was God. But the Bible often uses this, this idea of blindness 
to also speak of somebody's inability to realize their need for Jesus to save them from their sin in their lives or that to even see their sin, to see that there's harmful things in their lives. They, it, it, the idea is that somebody is spiritually blind. They, they can't understand that there's anything a matter with their life and that there's, they need to be saved from those things that are wrong. And just like we were all once spiritually poor, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, and we were all captives to our sinful nature, which we talked about last week, we also all once, or before you place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are, in fact, spiritually blind. You cannot see truly what is good for you and what is good for others. And this is due to the sinful nature that we talked about last Sunday. John talks about this in John three seventeen through 19. Starting in verse 17, it says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That verse is important, all right? You should have that one highlighted. Because we can have a tendency to look at God as this big bad person up there that's just waiting to like catch you and doing something wrong and come down on you. And, you know, admittingly so, some Christians misrepresent him as that way. But that is not what God came to do. God did not come to send you to hell. He came to save you. And that's what it says clearly here. He sent his son into the world, his son being Jesus Christ, to not to judge it, but to save it. And this goes along with that principle I was talking about a couple of months ago. As Christians, we want to make sure we're not being a Christian cop, but a Christian paramedic, okay? Because we're not trying to catch people in their sin and, and we're trying to help them and heal them, all right? Because that's what God's heart is, amen? So it goes on to say, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, this being Jesus. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. Now, the light is talking about Jesus in the good news. Okay, because like I said, we're, we're in this darkness. We're all blind, but God gave us a light to see in the darkness. A brother was telling me a story earlier about he had lost a pill on the ground and how um, I didn't know this. But if you turn off the lights and you shine a flashlight, it's easier to find something small on the ground because it casts a bigger shadow shadow than the actual thing. Well, the the whole principle of that is that light cuts through darkness right if, if you if you have a dark room and you turn on a light the light's always going to help you see so jesus is that light he's come into this world to help us see our sin and that we need to be saved from it but it goes on to say but people loved the darkness or they loved their sin more than the light for their actions were evil so our flesh causes us to love Darkness or sin or what God says is bad and not good for us and choose it over Jesus and what God says is right and good. And that leads to people choosing to not believe in this good news. As if you acknowledge your need for Jesus, then you are acknowledging that there is sin in your life or that there's things in your life that aren't right, that aren't good, which guess what means that you need to stop doing those things which can be hard to do because in our flesh, we like them. We think they're good for us. We're blind to seeing how harmful they are, okay? It's, it's what causes people to say things like, 
I don't want to give up having sex with different people that I'm not married to. I don't want to give up the partying with drugs and alcohol. I don't want to surrender my life to anything other than myself and my own ambitions. I don't want to invest in anything other than my career and making money for myself. I don't want to forgive that person that wronged me because they don't deserve it. I don't want to love my spouse unconditionally because they have not earned it. I don't really want to follow Jesus. I just want to show up on church and check the religious box like the Pharisees did on Sunday. I don't want to honor my father and mother. I would rather just do what I think is best. You could go on and on and on. But that's where those kind of statements, those type, that type of thinking, it comes from our flesh. And here's the crazy thing is that the, the reason it, it comes out like that is because you have this inner longing. You have this inner need that is looking to be satisfied. I think of it, it's kind of like when you're thirsty. You get thirsty because your body's made up of some crazy, observed, crazy amount of water. Like you're 70% water or something. So you constantly have to hydrate yourself. And so it's an inner need, but it manifests itself in your flesh because that's what thirst is. But here's the thing. You can try to satisfy that with a lot of different things that look good. Oh, that Coke, that looks really good. I'm really thirsty. I'm going to have that soda or I'm going to have that juice. But here's the thing. Nothing, none of those things can hydrate you. None of those things can satisfy you because your body was made to be hydrated by one thing, water, okay? And you can actually keep going after those wrong things, trying to hydrate yourself and actually kill yourself if you don't ever go after the right thing, okay? And very much spiritually, it's the same way. You were made by a creator and you were made to live and know him for all eternity. And that longing is inside of you and it's, it exposes itself through your flesh. And you see these things that you think you can satisfy that longing with, and they all end up disappointing you. And a lot of them, the things that God actually says are not good, they actually end up hurting you. And you do them long enough, they will lead you straight to death. All right? And so Satan knows this. Satan, our enemy, our very real enemy in this world, knows that. Knows that in, in his, according to John 10, 10, he's got one, or he's got three goals, to kill you, to steal from you, and destroy from you. So knowing that your flesh is susceptible to leading you astray, to leading you to destruction, he purposely puts that stuff in front of you that he knows it's going to be tempted by to keep you blinded to the one thing you really need, and that is Jesus Christ. It's like somebody putting a bag of Doritos in front of me because I just can't have one. I just eat, eat, eat. That's what Satan does. He just puts that thing that he knows you're going to eat, eat, eat in front of you. Paul talks about this as one of the reasons not everyone responds to the gospel or believes in it. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Now, keep in mind, when it says Satan is the God of this world, it's not saying he's the equal opposite of God. All right. Sometimes we make that mistake like, oh, well, God's good. Satan's his counterpart evil. No, no, no. Satan was created by God. He was an angel. He rebelled against God and he got thrown out of heaven. And now he's mad as heck and he's going to try to take everyone with him. He knows that he's not going to win in the end. 
But all that to say is he has been allowed to have a authority over this world to such a degree that it's not thwarting God's plan in any way. All right? All you got to do is read the book of Revelation if you wonder about that. And you'll see that it very much looks like Satan's winning, but he does not win. And it ultimately is going, God's good, pleasing, and perfect plan is still going to happen. But the reality is the only power Satan has over us is what we allow him to have. I like what theologian John Calvin said. He said, the devil is called the God of this age in no other way than Baal was called the God of those who worshiped him or the dog, or the, dog the God of Egypt. If you don't, aren't familiar, Baal was like a false God, not real, that many people worshiped back in the Old Testament. Egypt, the Egyptians actually worshiped dogs as a God. But what he's saying there is basically like, He's no more of a god than those false gods were in that it's that's just who those people chose to worship. Satan's only god over us if we allow ourselves to worship him and he in, in the things he represents in this world. But the sad reality is the majority of this world has fallen into that trap because of their flesh. They've allowed him to trick them into worshiping the things that he is trying to destroy them with, all right? Now note that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it is the minds of the people that Satan tries to deceive into being blinded. Um, or it's, it's, it's like he tricks them into thinking that the things he's put in this world are somehow better for them than what God has for them, all right? And this is the same tactic God or Satan has used from the very, very beginning. And it never changes, okay? If you go back to Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7, this is when it, Satan, appearing as a serpent, fooled the woman into disobeying God. All right? It says, one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And the woman says, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. So her response at first is right. right? That's what God told her. That's what God told actually the man, Adam, to relate to his wife. Basically, you could eat this, this garden has all this amazing stuff in it. You can eat whatever you want, except this one tree. Don't eat this tree, because if you do, it's going to allow you to know what's good and evil. That's not going to be good for you. All right? So don't eat from this tree. Okay? Now, here's what she says God says, you must not eat it or even touch it. Now, is that exactly what he said? No, he said, don't eat it. He didn't say about don't touching it. And the reason I point that out is because this is our tendency. We make God sound worse than he is when we're trying to justify our actions. Like it's what legalism basically is. You know, like God just said, no, no, you just can't eat it. And she's like, no, he said, you can't even touch it. He's trying to withhold this good thing from me. You know, we're trying to make it, we try to make him sound bad. Like again, like he's some vindictive father up there just looking to get us in trouble. That's not how God is. Same thing you kids do to your parents sometimes, right? I can't believe she's, they're ruining my life by taking away my games for one week. It's over. That's we get really dramatic. And, and, and so she's getting a little dramatic here, right? And then it says, um, or she says, God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And here's Satan's response. You won't die. Now, this is what Satan does. He tries to fool you into thinking that the consequences aren't that bad. And this is a half truth. She wasn't going to 
drop dead on the spot. But through her sin, physical death was going to come into her life. But even here's the greater consequence. She was going to be separated from God because of her sin. That was the greater consequence. But he doesn't want her to think that. It's not as bad as he says it's going to be. And then he goes on to say, the serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. So now he tries to sell her into thinking that that actually this thing that God says is bad, it's good for you. But was it? Paul tells us in Romans 16, 19, to stay innocent to what is evil. You know why? Because as soon as you get exposed to something that's bad for you, then all of a sudden you're open to temptation. Think of like pornography. What happens when you see that? It ingrains itself in your mind. And you're constantly fighting to get that image and not think about those things you don't want to be thinking about. Had you not exposed yourself to it and stayed innocent to it, you wouldn't have that temptation. But this is what Satan does too. He tries to get you into thinking, not only it's not going to be that bad for you, but it's actually a good thing. You're going to be like God. You're going to know as much as he does. When God's like, no, you don't want to expose yourself to this. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to keep you innocent. And then it goes on and it says, so she took, or she, the woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and this fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. See, Satan knew exactly what would tempt her flesh. And she listens and she does it and says she took some of the fruit and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. See, this is what sin does as well. It doesn't just affect you. It affects the people around you, often the ones you care about most. Your consequences for sin go far beyond you. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame. That is always what sin leads to too. Shame. And shortly after this, what happens when God comes into the garden? They hide from him. It creates separation. But all that to say is, this is what Satan does. He tries to keep you in that place of blindness. But this is why God uses his word. Because Satan's main tactic is to try to deceive you. God uses his word to reveal the good news and to show you truth, to combat those lies of the enemy. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 tells us that you are made up of spirit, soul, in flesh. And what this verse tells us is that God's word is able to penetrate your innermost being and your outermost being. It is able to combat any lie, any false feeling you might have, any deceptions. You hear a, 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 a widely popular worldly saying, now just follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. The Bible says your heart is deceitful. You can't trust your heart. You need to have the word of God. You need to have his sword as like, like basically an, uh, 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 binoculars or like, like glasses to look through 
to weed out those right thoughts and those wrong thoughts and those right feelings and those wrong feelings because without God's help to open our eyes and see truth, we're helpless. We don't know. And note that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that it's specifically those that choose not to believe who remain blinded by the enemy. They refuse to believe that God is something better for them. And as such, they love their sin. They love the darkness instead, thereby allowing Satan to trick their minds into being blinded to the truth. If you don't want to be blinded to your, your need for Jesus, if you're somebody sitting here today and you're, you're, you have this thought like, well, I just don't know if I can believe. You can believe. All right. It's never a question of evidence. See, sometimes Jesus says you have to believe and then you'll see. You have to take me at my word and then I will show you. Now, so often we can have this mentality of like, well, I don't like that. I want to see and then I'll believe. I want that evidence and then I'll believe. Here's the thing. You have all the evidence you need. Paul says in Romans 1 that everything in creation is all the evidence you need that proves God's real. And that's the reality. You can listen to man's best guess about how everything got started, but you guys realize what that is, right? Well, I can't really figure it out, so it's just all by accident. It's just by chance. There was a big bang. There was this. It's just, it's just, we're all an accident. That's man's explanation for as complex as you are, how you got here. It is much easier for me to believe that I was intelligently designed as complex as I am instead of just being an accident. And there's a whole thing called apologetics where science is verified by the Bible, any good science. I mean, you can argue things and, and logistically see that there is an intelligent creator to everything and why there is. But I'm just saying common sense standpoint, everything in creation is proof that there's a God. Second thing is look to the person next to you. Anyone in here saved by Jesus is all the evidence you need that God's real. All right. Especially if you knew them before they were saved and you know them now. All right. That's the reality. Change is impossible. Real change without God being the one that's doing it and changing hearts and changing minds because he set us free, because he's opened our eyes. And as we've heard these testimonies the last couple of weeks, change like that does not happen by somebody just manufacturing it in themselves. That is evidence of how real God is. So there's always evidence That's not the problem. You just have to choose to believe, humble yourself to the point of understanding that maybe I don't know all I know. Maybe I do get things wrong. Look at your life with honesty and see that maybe, yeah, I've made a bunch of mistakes and the things I'm choosing don't seem to be working out so well for me. I don't seem to be satisfied with anything. It's just this never-ending cycle or whatnot. Maybe there is something I'm missing. Well, that thing you're missing is God. It's the main thing. It's really the only thing you need. And so this is something we have to remind ourselves when we're talking to people about Jesus. When there's people in our lives that we can be frustrated with because they're just not getting it, they're not believing, we have to understand first and foremost, they're blind. And we all were once there before Jesus opened our eyes. So we should be able to relate to that and it should give us patience with them. But also it should encourage us in that 
Jesus came specifically to help open their eyes. He came for them. He came to help them. So we should never give up. We should keep praying for them, knowing that Satan is doing the exact opposite. He's trying to keep their blinds, their eyes blinded. So we need to pray against that and take every opportunity we have to tell them the good news. Because here's the other thing. Whether they receive it or not does not change the fact that it is the best news they could ever hear. All right? I like what John Calvin said about this too. The blindness of unbelievers in no way detracts from the clearness of the gospel. For the sun is no less resplendent because the blind do not perceive its light. The idea there is that the sun, even if a blind person can't see its glory and its greatness, it doesn't make it any less bright. It's the same with the gospel. Whether somebody's seeing it at first or believing it, it doesn't make it any less amazing. And we just keep telling and we keep praying and we expect that God's going to open their eyes just like he opened ours. Amen? All right. So today we get to hear another testimony from a brother who, like many of us, was once blind but now can see. So I'm going to have my brother Jeff Grace come up here and share. You guys stand up there if you want to. No, okay. All right. Feel like a big guy here. Uh, Jeff Grace. Let's see. Um, never heard God mentioned in our home ever. Um, mom, Dad. Pretty much money was the God, and how far you got in a career, and and that was who and what. So uh, the only time they talked Jesus or God was profanity. So. Uh, um, ended up going through four four different high schools. One of them had to be happened to be a Judson home for the boys, Tucson, Arizona, and uh, thought, man, I maybe I'll go uh, after high school. I'll go be a cop. I'll I'll go to college, and uh, did that for about a year and a half. And uh, thought, nah, they probably wouldn't want me. And uh, joined the army. What a blessing that was uh, because. I get after Fort McClellan, Alabama, got stationed down in uh, Vancouver Barracks. I was AWOL apprehension. It was uh, I was an MP in the Army, and down there I met this beautiful young lady um, who I wish she was here right now, but due to the road closer, she's not. But uh, um, I thought, man, who's this girl? She's so wholesome looking. No, no tattoos, no piercings, no nothing. I've never seen nothing like that. I'm going, what the heck, man? <laughs> I was from the Bay Area originally, and um, so we got to meet each other and got together, and and, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to marry this girl. And she's going, oh, no, you're not. Her, her family is from a very strict, for lack of a better, cult um, down in Battleground that uh, is really, really, it's all about man. Um, they say God, but but he's not in there, so... I meet her family, um, 13 months later, which they think she's got to be pregnant she, if she's marrying him because he's not from church and, and which was absolutely wrong. And, uh, so we get married. We get, had to get married at, uh, her house because we couldn't get married at church because I didn't go there. Um, and I ended up going there after we got married at the wedding. Her parents cried. And my parents are going, what in the heck are you doing? What is this girl? And, and I started following, and she said, this is God. I go come from where there is no God to where her whole life is 
God. And uh, so I start following it, and she's saying, okay, we don't have TV, we don't have stereo, I wear dresses, I don't cut my hair, no jewelry, no... God doesn't like that makeup, and uh, you, you if you're going to grow a beard, you better let it grow full on, because if you don't, that's vanity and pride. And Okay, okay, so we're doing this, and start having children, and because uh, birth control is definitely nope, you'll get what God gives you, okay? Well, so we went on with that method, and um, six children later, <laughs> I, I said, hey, I got to raise these things, you know? We got to... <laughs> it's not like a farm. <laughs> and so she, you know, and bless the lady, she, to put up with me, because it's not, it's not ADHD 101, and unmedicated half the time, until she reminds me. Um, but so, so after child number six, she said, this is, and this is how the, the church worked at, uh, she said, well, if you want advice where you don't want to have any more children, you need to go talk to my grandpa, who's one of the preachers, and he'll give you advice from God that, and I said, well, I can pray. She said, no, you got to go to a preacher. Okay. So I went and visited her grandpa and came home and I said, I said, everything's great. And she said, did you, did you talk to grandpa? And I said, yep. And, and what did he say? I said, he said, everything's great. And I just had to come true to this uh, story probably about a couple of months ago after 43 years of marriage. Uh, I told her, I said, you know, and I told you I went to your grandpa. I did go visit him, but I sure the heck didn't ask him if I could take care of where we don't have no more kids. He said, you didn't? I said, no. <laughs> and so had to come clean on that one for her, but you know, it, so then, I mean, and what a blessing. I mean, our, our children are all following praise God because, uh, after 25 years going to that church, I was sitting there one day and I said, you know what? I've, I've been doing something this church tells you not to do. I've been reading the Bible and it says that, uh, what they're saying up there ain't right. And, and if I keep going here, then that's not okay. So, I got to leave. And she said, oh, you can't leave. And I said, no, I'm leaving. And I got up out of church and, uh, and they were so strict that, uh, they have church so much. I mean, you don't, you don't visit anyone who's not from church cause that's worldly. And I said, well, isn't it about sharing and growing and going? And no, 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 with us alone, because I was personally told if you don't walk through the doors of their buildings and that literally that, that you're going to hell. And I'm going, well, heaven's pretty small. (laughs) You know, and it's just, it was crazy. And and she's going, but you can't, you can't leave. And I said, I got to. Got up, walked out. Oh, man. Uh, Went home and uh, they told her to divorce me for spiritual abuse. And, uh, and I went and, uh, you know, I'm going, man, I'm free. I hadn't drank for 25 years, which was, you know, there were many blessings that came out of that, that, uh, I mean, the no TV, that was a good thing, but I went and bought three of them right away and put up a big dish, letting it, we lived on top of the hill in battleground so everybody could see and they go, oh, look at that, he's got a dish on his house now, <laughs> you know, that heathen now, but so, you know, it was really hard for her because uh, they would come to our house literally and knock on the door, I'd open the door and they'd start yelling, you're going to hell or, and I'm going, man, get off my porch, you know, you, you're going to get kicked or shot. Uh, and it just, it went on and on and on and, and, and it was my bad because I, 
I told the children, I said, hey, you know what? These people don't know what they're doing. They're raised that way. They believe this is right. So, you know, just show kindness and God will win. And, and, and while I'm telling my kids that, I'm lashing out. I mean, I'm going to people's house telling them, hey, your kid's bugging my kid. Oh, that'll, the kids will be kids. And I said, yep, and adults will be adults. I'll lock you in your house. I'll light it on fire. And they're going, no. So, I mean, it, it probably was not a healthy situation. And, uh, and I'm thinking, oh, my liver's got some working out to do. I didn't drink for 25 years. Well, it didn't take long to figure out I was an alcoholic. And I start hiding it around the house and, uh, telling her, well, you know, I, I'm gone four days, home four days, never drink on the road, but, those four days I'm home, I can find a bottle in every room. So I, that, that was, but it took a long time to, God's okay with this because, you know, that church is wrong. So now, yeah, you can drink, you can drink, it's okay. Well, if you can control it, you can, which I can't. Um, there goes that ADHD again. And so we are having really hard times up and down, up and down. And I thought, well, you know, I got to get rid of this anger that I've had for ever since I went to that church because it's all their fault. I'm all messed up. No, actually, it's my parents' fault. Yeah, and uh, so I bought me a Harley, and if you're going to ride a Harley, you're going to ride with a club, and if it's going to be a club, it better be an outlaw club. And so, uh, sure enough, and I'm thinking, well, this is okay because they're mean to only other people who ride Harley, so that's this is okay. God doesn't care, and it's like, and then I, you know, and, and I got to say that tattoo on my arm, in God we trust, convicted me. I don't know why I got that one. It was one of the last ones I did get. And I'm, I'd be riding and I'm going, wow, this just doesn't feel right. And, uh, you know, and Debbie did say, you know, I got to say, man, that woman is stuck by me because uh, she hates tattoos. And if you saw my back that she looks at every single night and I'm going, God bless you lady, because I wouldn't want to look at it. It's mean, it's ugly. It's, and it's so pretty much never take my shirt off no more. Um, that was all club stuff. And, it, and, and so we went from that one. She said, is this really what God wants for you? And I said, no, I know you're probably right. So, so we did the sober clean and sober and it sold the Harley, bought a North river and that, that is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but I, I learned how to love it. And, and, and we went fishing with the kids and then sold it when I had to beg my kids to go with me. You know, they felt guilty because they wouldn't want to come down to the coast. I'd have it all ready. I got, you know, I'd get ready, say, hey, meet me down there. We'll go fish. We'll go halibut fishing. You know, well, that's 27 miles out. You ever been out there? No, but I will. You know, they can do what I can. And, uh, Went along. Life was good, and we. I, I did a course at uh, Camby Four Square. We were seeking a church this whole time after we left. There's Debbie did follow me. I told her, I said, read the Bible, open open it up. God will let you know where to go. And if you want me to leave the house, I will because I am the one leaving. And uh, praise God, she started reading the Bible a bit, and she said, you know, I I need to leave church too. Yeah, which is, I mean, in that town, that lady's a stud because uh, you walk in a Safeway and people will turn around and walk the other way from you. You go get gas and they'll they'll literally drive away. I mean, it's like, wow. And I mean, and she's down there right now. She spent uh, a night with them, her, all her family uh, 
um, for Christmas time. And it's just, it's tough, but I told her just, you know, God's with you. Let your light shine girl. And, and they don't like that light you're talking about. So talked to her last night after that. She said it went well, but of course it's always hard. Life's going along. Um, my liver, because of how I'd abused it, uh, was to the point of transplant almost. And we went and saw a specialist. I rode my Harley there and she drove there. I met her there and she talked to the specialist. And I said, well, you know, you got to die of something. I mean, and she said, well, no, you don't understand. If you don't change your ways, you, you, you're jaundiced. You're going to die. And I said, okay, it's okay. And, and, and Debbie's looking at me like, what are you saying, man? I told Debbie, why don't you, you go home? I'm going to get on the bike and ride down to the clubhouse and, talk to the brothers and have a couple drinks and see what's up. Well, the guy they stuck me with, and that's stuck me with, what a blessing that was, uh, at Freightliner long haul to North Carolina. My partner got sick, so they gave me a fill-in, and uh, Art Johnson, that bugger, <laughs> he, we, we made a trip together, and he said, uh, he said, can I tell you something? We got back, and I said, yeah. He said, you're the meanest man I've ever met. And I said, okay, well, you know what you are? You're the biggest I've ever met. And we went about our way, and next trip came out, and he heard me talking on the phone to the doctor. I was getting my blood work done every three weeks. We made that trip and didn't probably didn't talk three words the whole trip. We were getting back into town. He says, hey, um, do you, do you, do you, uh, do you believe that God could heal your liver if he wanted to? And I said, yeah, God can do anything. He's God. And, and he said, well, can I pray for you? I said, you bet. Who wouldn't want a prayer? And uh, he did. He put his hands on me and he prayed. And uh, and I have anyone who would like to see, I have these test results. They're in my phone because it's literally unbelievable. It went from, and I had changed Nothing. I was still drinking, still taking opiates, and that's what you do if you're a biker. And uh, the bike was gone, but the opiates and alcohol were still there. And uh, uh, three weeks later, uh, I went to the get my blood work done, and it came back, and I I didn't even open them anymore. They came in the mail. It was depressing. I don't want to read that. That's that feels okay wherever it is. You know, it's not bothering me none yet. And uh Debbie opened it up and she said, Hey, you, you need to look at this, man. I said, why'd you open my mail? She said, no, look at this. And I, and it was, uh, almost my completely normal. And it's, and like I say, I have them in my phone pictures of those test results because it's, there's God saying, Hey, Jeff, I want to use you for my glory. Why don't you just wake up, man? There's that blind sea thing. It's like I start seeing and then it's like, ah, we'll back off. I got this one, God. You can have the next life. I'll stay here and take care of this. And he's going, no, every time you try, look what you do. So uh, the liver thing, that that was big impact. That's, that is when I decided to uh, start going to, to church and, and truly seeking God and can be four square. Both Debbie and myself got baptized there. And she's, she's going, wow, this is a heck of a ride. And her family, by now it's been probably four or five years, and they're just starting to where they'll say hi to her, and, uh, which is terrible. The kids in school, we had to homeschool one of our children because they were getting harassed so much. It was just really sad. 
And uh, um, I did ministry training institute, which is a program to learn how the Holy Spirit comes into you. And when did that for probably six months, it was a course and uh, really loved it. Started and then once again that flesh just started pushing away, and I said, "Hey, I'm I'm done." What do you mean you're done? Peace. I'm done. I'll see ya. It was nice knowing you. And I, you know, I try and think, well, is that because how I was raised? We moved every two or three years. And, uh, so you, you make friends, you get to know people, you expose yourself and then you leave. So you don't have to look at it. And you can do it again over here. And it's just Debbie's going, you know, Hey, you gotta, we gotta do something, man. This isn't right. Well, lo and behold, uh, New Year's Eve. We're down at the beach. We, we were blessed enough. And, you know, I I mean, there's so much. My parents came and lived with us. Mom had Alzheimer's and Dad. I, we had an on tour home so they could stay with us. Debbie took care of Mom for eight years, changed her, her pants every night. And I'm going, man, what a solid wife uh, to, to do that. I mean, and she she loves God so much. and But it's the same place. She was lost because she was raised in that cult. So... We're trying to find them together, but every time I think I'm getting close, I'm thinking, no, I'm going the other direction, man. This is scary. I don't want to, no, I got this one. So, uh, we did that church thing in Camby and then quit that. And, and lo and behold, we're at the coast on New Year's Eve and someone calls and says, Hey, how would you like to go to DC on January 6th? Go to that Trump thing. Hey, that's the monster of all rallies to go to. Let's do it. So I woke her up and I said, hey, guess where I'm going? D.C. She said, no, you're not. And I said, yeah, I am. He's buying me the tickets. And, uh, and I did. And, uh, and, uh, boy, it's been a heck of a ride since then, let me tell you, because I was one of the ones that went in the Capitol. I've been charged, uh, and, uh, three misdemeanors, but, uh, came home. She called me. She said, you know, you know, you're on TV. And January 6th is her birthday. Happy birthday, Debbie. And she said, you're on TV. And I said, oh, man, I got to get out of D.C. She said, you're doing facial recognition. And if you're familiar with the pictures, the person holding that podium, that picture that made it on TV forever, look at the old man uh, behind him. That's me looking at a painting. Going, wow, it's really pretty in here. And then thinking, probably shouldn't be in here, you know. Say a prayer and say, God bless America, and pew, out the door I shoot. Going, wow, that was, that was, well, of course the FBI shows up at the house, says, hey, is that you? And I said, yeah, that's me. I said, okay, well, you know, we're going to arrest you. And I said, yeah, yep, figured that. A week later, work calls and says, hey, you've been terminated. I said, what? Yeah, yeah, that picture of you in the Capitol, you're fired. It was Freightliner Corporation. I had 26 and a half years there, something like that. said, okay, uh, can't have my pension though. So, you know, we'll just thank God, sincerely thank you, God, because uh, I'm blessed with a pension. But uh, I said, okay, you guys want it? Here comes Captain America. I went and did the border for eight days with a live streamer. We had probably 80 guns pulled on us and there's video of me out there tackling people coming across the river and just thinking this is what our country needs and it's like she's saying why don't you just let god take this one man 
why don't you just do what you're supposed to do and show love and kindness? And I said, no, no, he needs my help this time. And so I uh, did that for quite some time. The, down in the streets of Portland, the, that pastor who came here men's night, I mean, I'd tell him, oh, yeah, I fed the homeless down there under the bridge many times. And I've also been fighting with Antifa and every one of those riots down there. My kids are going, Dad, what are you doing, man? You're 60. You're, you're on TV all the time. They're, you got a gun on your hip and you're, you're angry, man. I said, no, this is, this is for America and it's for God. And they're going, no, no, it's, it's for you. And maybe you think you're doing it for America, but you're not doing it with God. And I'm going, oh, you kids are, you're messed up. No, I've got this. I promise. He's telling me that it's okay. And, uh, Debbie, you know, I gotta say, after probably about a year when Antifa starts showing up at our house, and I'd tell him, I'd be, you know, and this is how terrible it was. I'd be sitting out in the woods at night around our house. We had an acre and a half. I'd be sitting out there at night because I knew someone would be coming. And I'd put a red dot on his chest. And I'd tell him, you know, this one's free. Next time you're going to take two. And, and, you know, off they'd shoot to try to break down my flagpole. And, and I'm going, ha, ah, got another one, you know, and, and it's, it's like, when are you going to stop? Because you're really in a bad place. And I mean, the FBI, uh, that year, 14 times, I believe I got jerked out of my pickup or, and, and held one, once for three, three days. They, uh, were going to impound my dogs and put my vehicles and it, it was like, I told the state patrol, I said, man, I'm done. I tap. And he said, you look really sad. And it's like, I've lost my job. I've lost my family. I mean, I, but I got to stand for America. And he said, dude, you need to back off is what you got to do. If you back off, the FBI will back off. So, well, I'm not taking a plea because I peacefully protested and you read the constitution. That's okay. Well, Debbie said, you need to leave. We're going to sell the house and we're done. <laughs> you know what? That's fine. That's your bad for leaving me because God's got us. She's saying, no, you don't. You're so far away from that right now. And uh, that's when I came down here to Chinook, which was probably about 14, 15 months ago. And uh, there's a guy there sitting. Um, Dylan uh, came up to me and said, Hey man, love to invite you to church. I said, I'm good, thanks. He said, Well, you told me believe in God. Yeah, I do. He said, Well, I'd love to invite you to church. I said, Yeah, thanks, man. I'm gonna go run my dogs. And uh he said, Well, if you don't want to go to church, there's a men's group meets on Tuesday mornings. So that was the first place I went. And I went there once, and all I did was pity myself. And say how bad my life was. And I'm going, and left. And then I thought, man, I need to go to church. So I started coming here and I'd sit right over there. And uh, never talk to nobody. Put my hood up or leave, wear my ball cap. Which is, that was one of the things that I thought, hey, that is cool, man. They wear ball cap in there. I ain't never seen that in a church before. <laughs> but yeah, I thought, pretty cool. But uh no, it's just, it has such a good feeling here, and I didn't know what the feeling was, but it, it was the Holy Spirit drawing me. And I'll never forget, it was probably about three months, maybe four, and Pastor was here, and he said, uh, 
I know there's someone here who needs needs a friend, needs someone to talk to. And I'll never forget it. I got up and walked out. And I thought, man, I think that was when I thought, you know what? Why are you running, man? That guy's reaching out to you. Why don't you just turn to God and give it to him? So I kept coming, but 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 I felt really bad. Felt really, I thought, man, that what a sign of disrespect that was. And I'm not disrespectful. Trying not, yeah, I'm not disrespectful. <laughs> as long as you believe like I do, right? No. But uh, I come here at night a lot uh, with my two Australian shepherds sitting out in the truck right now. Trucks, the gray Dodge with a flag on it, and uh, and that's not that's just. I do love the country. I don't worship it. I don't praise it, but I do like it. And uh, thank you. And uh, so I'd come up here and I'd run them. And we'd sit there on that stage because it's lit up at night. The one outside, I'm going, this is cool, man. No one's here. I can talk to God. He talks back. And the dogs are having a blast. So did that for quite a while. And and, and someone said, hey, you know, mom wants to get back with you. And I went, Right. And, and they said, no, really, she'd love to get back with you, Dad. Sold our house, everything, all my stuff's in one storage. Hers is in another. And I said, yeah, that's great. I'd love to get back with Mom. So we started dating. And her first time here was uh, last year's Christmas Eve service. It was snowing pretty good. And I, she said, what do you want for Christmas from me? I said, I want you to come down to this church in only uh, Oregon. I said, it's it's awesome. The Holy Spirit's there. I feel good. I'm starting to, everything's going away. All the gear's going away. I, people are kind. And and the guy, pastor, if I call him, he answers his phone. And if, if he doesn't get to it, he'll get back to me. Never had that happen before. And she said, so for Christmas, you want me to go to church with you? And I said, I do. Christmas Eve service. And she said, well, Christmas Day, I got to be at the kids' house for Christmas. All our kids are six. And our 14 grandchildren we've been blessed with. And I'm the only one who's not allowed to be there. And it, that's because of my own doing. Because um, I, I pushed away from them when they... I just... And I, I, I remember talking to Pastor Chris about this many times. Well, they just don't get it. And he said, well, you know, you just show love. Show love. And it's like... What he's saying is put your pride on the shelf. But he said it with such a kind, loving heart. And with the Holy Spirit that it was, I didn't push away from it because he wasn't doing it. And he was doing it in such a kind way. And uh, so I thought, man, I got a friend. And uh, man, and he's a pastor. And then, then I meet the other pastors and I start going to the breakthrough group um, for the, for the, and I had, I got a share. I had uh, six years coming up and I took quite a bit of pride in that. And he humbled me very quickly. Uh I fell three weeks, and I, I let every pastor know because I, I love accountability. But I said, hey, man, I, I found out in three weeks. I thought, well, I can handle it now, and probably not so much because I started finding myself hiding vodka bottles everywhere. You know, it's like, eh, maybe better not do this one. So I had to come clean, and and uh, so that, that six-year chip went went in the garbage. But you know what? He still got me. So that, 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 and I told Debbie, I said, if you want to get back together after she went to church here and loved it. And, uh, but she's very quiet and reserved. It's God's doing. She's not here right now. She wanted to be here. And they said the road was open. So she got to it 
and it was closed. And it's probably a blessing because she'd be giving me the, the Debbie look, you know, that don't do, don't say that. Stop it. <laughs> without, without saying that, you know, because that happened at her church all the time. They would, they had, the elders had come over from Norway and Finland and they'd, we'd get invited there because I was a worldly that had made repentance. So now I know I'm one of them. And, uh, but never quite because I wasn't born in it. But, um, and I'd ask them, I'd say, well, where does it say that in the Bible? And they'd blow right over it. And I'd tell her, listen to them. They don't, they, and so, so that was where we got the Debbie tap dance is what I call it. Cause she'd be on the other side of the room going, <laughs> and I'm going, I can't help it. ADHD. <laughs> and so, you know, bless that lady. Uh, but, uh, so, so. That's probably why she isn't here. But but I told her, I said, if we're getting back together, there's only one thing. And she said, what's that? And I said, first of all, that we make it right with God. And we start not just saying we believe in him, that we start following him. Because that's what he wants. He All these things he's done for me are for his glory. Let's give it to him. Let's give him his glory due. And, and I, I said, I can't leave coastline and she said uh what you're gonna live in oregon i said i'm not commuting from battleground i said no i can't and you know what this is how cool god is and how blessed we men by him she said yeah i'm good with that she had sold the house i'm living in an rv and she's living in a friend's rv in battleground I'm going this is retirement isn't it <laughs> not getting no better than this but I had bought, God knew we were going to get back together because I had bought tickets to last year's uh, marriage retreat. When we we had been, papers had been filed, uh, house had been sold. And I'm thinking, why did I buy those tickets? And, and, and it, it, I mean, how cool is that? And um, we went to that retreat and had a, an amazing time. We're going again next year or this year and next year. <laughs> but... Um, no, it's just, and on the way home, this is how cool God is. Um, on our way home from that, we were headed back to the RV, and, and it, now she's living in my RV, and I'm going, wow, this is tight quarters, girl, with the two miniature Australian shepherds. The realtor called and said, hey, I think I found a house you guys would like. It's just what you want. We went and looked at it, made an offer, and got the home. And uh, praise God, because... I have loved it ever since. And I, you know what, with Stephen and Chris and Michael and, and I mean, even as far as Greg, I was out there, you know, telling him, asking him, I need prayer, man, because it's my constitutional right to carry a gun. And I, I, I know I've told several people that you'll never see this old boy without a gun on him. Never. Well, look, I tuck my shirt in now. You know why? Because I don't have no gun on me, you know. God's my gun. Uh, and that's, that's never happened ever. I, since I was 16, I can't remember not having a gun. And everyone's going, where's your gun? No, no going. What'd you do with them? Gave them to my kids. And they're going, wow, that's, that's crazy. Cause the FBI took them from me. When I was down there fighting in Portland with Antifa, they said, oh, your, your anger's ramping up. You need to relinquish your weapons. And, and what they probably wanted was me to say, no, come get them. And they will. They, you'll end up with SWAT on your porch. Yeah. Yeah. I've been at a friend's that, yeah, they do show up and they're loud and proud. Um, but you know, and I'm still, still, 
many of you have prayed for me over that. Our house is just trying to be an American that stood up, got caught up, and did something wrong. And you know what? Wouldn't say I did something wrong. Um, whether it was morally or whatever right, it wasn't right because it was illegal. So, you know, it was a... And now I'm, I'm still dealing with that. Two years later, I am still dealing with D.C. And uh, But it is coming to an end. You know why? Because the advice I've been given... Um, by the Holy Spirit and the staff here is that, you know, the truth. That's all, just the truth. So I, I put away all the social media that my daughters did. Um, I was making YouTubes. I was telling the people in D.C., you guys are woke, you're weak, you need testosterone, and I'll give you your first injection. And they're going, you can't say that. Say, yeah, I can. It's my freedom of speech. It's like, yeah, but it's not smart. <laughs> Never been accused of that one. But it's it's been one heck of a good ride, I gotta say, because right now I've never been happier in my life. And that's not saying my relationships with my kids are back to where they were or 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 the way I handle every situation, but it is saying that I've never felt closer to God and trying to please God more and, and along with my wife. And I'm going, Wow, this is really cool. This is home and and that's home this is where we're home here and and she 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 didn't like it here i gotta say she she wanted to be closer to the kids and i said nah i'm not doing it we got that house and she came home i think it was two weeks ago i shared with gris i said uh she came home and she said you know what because we still struggle and i mean i'm retired now and she's stuck with me every day and and and, and she keeps popping more medicine in me. No, I'm, no, she don't. But, uh, you know, it's, so it's, it's definitely a struggle. And, uh, she came home the, from visiting family in battleground. I put the RV up there so she can go back and forth. I work at big five part time. And, uh, she said, uh, you know what? I love coming home here. And I went, wow, man, is that, Prayers answered for me because I love it down here and I love to go look at the ocean and, but most of all, I love, I love the church family and whether I visit or not, a lot of times I get up and walk out and that's, you to ask my kids, they'll say, oh, that's dad. There, there he goes, you know, running away all the time. And, and I, I didn't think it was running. I just thought I'll, I'll deal with it myself. And, and I can't because, uh, God's got it and he's got us. So. That's where we're at right now, and you know what? I couldn't be happier. So I want to thank everyone for their prayers, and I want to ask for continued prayers. Debbie had a accident at her work. Fred Meyer, she got knocked over by a forklift. It broke her foot. But praise God that happened because they did x-rays of her back and stuff, and they found a, and it hasn't been diagnosed yet, but they found a spot in her lung. And uh, and it was like, oh, What? And, 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 but you know, if she wouldn't have had that accident and had her foot broke, um, we would have never known because she has no symptoms. And uh, we went to the first appointment and the doctor said, Hey, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm not as concerned because your breathing's good and, uh, you don't have any symptoms of, you know, the normal systematic for lung cancer or whatever. And that was the only place and the x-rays that was seen. So, until you get a CT scan or do all the tests, but we're, which we are doing. But I would ask for, for prayers that, uh,
God uh, keeps that lady around for me for a while because she's she's pretty much my best friend, no doubt. So anyway, thank you all for for all the prayers and for just being being what you are here in a coastline. Amen. Let me pray for you guys, Jeff, really quick. Stay up here. Lord, I, I just, Lord, what a testimony. What, what example after example of the very thing we were talking about today where just like the rest of us, blind in so many areas, but you've helped him see. You've helped his wife see. And you've brought him in, in being able to see truth and seeing the good things you have for him, you've been able to bring him into that abundant life, that, that what your word calls the, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God that he has for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that work you've done in him. We thank you that none of this is by accident. I just see your sovereign hand in all of it, Lord. And um, we do pray for his wife. We pray, Lord, that this would just be another testimony of your goodness in his life, of your faithfulness, of, of the peace that I even see in my brother, despite having this, this you know, the, the legal stuff going in the background, but just this amazing faith and trust that, you know what? The truth has set me free. I'm just going to be honest and I'm going to trust God because he's got this. And, and I pray that same for him and his wife, that there would be peace. And we do pray that, that the, the news they get through all the testing would just be good news. There would be nothing bad there. We even asked, Lord, if you want to do something miraculous and totally just remove this thing. So just like you healed his liver miraculously, it'd be another another thing to just show off how real you are, Lord, so that they can glorify you even further in their lives. And we ask, Lord, that as, as the, the legal stuff proceeds, Lord, that the truth would be made known and that your will would be done. And in all of it, that you would use him as an example to anyone that doesn't know you. It is is an opportunity to glorify you so that they can know you and have the same joy that we see in him, the same peace. Their eyes can be opened, even as we were talking about today, Lord. And thank you for bringing them to our family, Lord. May we continue to come alongside them and be there however they need us, Lord. Um, just being used by you to, to build them up, encourage them, strengthen them in their faith and their walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Amen. You're welcome. I love you, man. Thank you. Yeah, I know we're running late, but I'm going to have the worship team come up because that is definitely a testimony worthy to give God praise for. And so we're going to worship him. But, you know, the, the thing that was just on my heart and all of that really pressing is I couldn't help but shake that, you know, everything he was sharing were in some way or another things that we can relate to in our lives. Problems in our marriage, getting caught up in the wrong things, struggling with anger, struggling with drinking. I mean, as I said earlier, these are all things that the root of them all is the same. There's that inner longing inside of us that's looking for the one thing we need, and that's Jesus Christ. And it manifests itself through your flesh, and you go after these other things, and those other things just don't give you what you're looking for, and they actually end up causing more harm than good. They just destroy you until God opens your eyes so that you can see that all along is he is what you needed. And I don't know, but I really sense that there's people here today that need to, in faith, believe that Jesus sent his son to die for their sins 
And they need him to save them today. And in faith and humility, when you ask him to do that, he will do that and he will come into your life and he will open your eyes and help you see how you too can experience that blessed life that, you, that you're so desperately searching for in the wrong things. And if you're looking for evidence, that guy right there is all the evidence you need. Because change like that can't happen if God isn't real. Amen. So we're going to have our prayer team around the room and don't sit down. You may have came here without a personal relationship with the God that created you, but you can leave here knowing him, having his spirit inside of you. The Bible says today is the day of salvation for you. You don't wait till tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow holds and you only get a chance to make that decision while you're here on this earth. So come up and get prayer. We'll lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus as your Lord. The rest of us, man, let's just praise God for what he's done in our own lives, what he's done in Jeff and Debbie's life, what he's going to continue to do until the day we're back with him. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for that testimony so much, so powerful. Lord, I think it, it just resonates in us. We rejoice with him and his wife at seeing what God's done for them because we, we too have experienced those things. And we know that this is what we're living for. We're living for you. And when we see evidence of you, it, it just it, there's no greater feeling. When we see you doing things in us, when we see you doing things in other people, when we experience you working around us or in our lives, we just see those visible manifestations where it's just that reminder of what you've done because you've done so much for us, Lord. It's hard to even comprehend or sum it all up because it's so great and we know that it'll never end for all eternity your grace upon grace is going to be shown on us because of jesus in the cross and that's what we're celebrating this christmas so lord i just pray even now in this time that you would remind us of how you opened our eyes and all the things you've helped us see and then where that's led us into that abundant life that 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 blessed life that we can't have apart from you. And we'd rejoice and we'd praise you for it. And for anyone here that has yet to receive that gift of salvation, anyone that needs their eyes open, today would be the day that they allow you to do that for them. In Jesus' name, amen.